Good morning, everyone. Um, wow, a lot of people here. Advertise free lunch and they come out in droves. <laughs> um, no, really, it's awesome to see so many people here this morning as we worship our God. And uh, a big welcome to all those who are worshiping with us this morning. Um, you know what? It's, it's always good to come before our God and worship. He gives us this opportunity and we're delighted that you can uh, share this opportunity um, with us. It's a special morning here. Um, Dylan's going to be doing a reaffirmation of his faith. The Spirit is alive, and we're thankful for that as well. So um, there is one thing. Um, as a church, we have an opportunity for uh, perhaps a different building. So um, Dave and Lara, if you could come up and speak on that for a second. Good morning, everyone. So yeah, we have some exciting news we wanted to share with all of you, and obviously for the guests here, it doesn't pertain as much, but obviously for the members of Pathway. Um, I'm just here on behalf of the admin team and council. Um, at the end of June, the pastor of one of the churches here, LifeSpring Church, approached our team who's been searching for buildings for since we started Pathway, um, and let them know that they're going to be moving out of their building. Um, it's on Railway Ave in Abbotsford, and uh, yeah, so it's potentially available to rent and maybe to purchase down the road. So we've been praying for that, and when an opportunity like this comes up, we obviously want to take it seriously. And uh, so a few members of the admin team um, met there uh, at the end of June, took a look, um, and basically uh, recommended to council that we pursue this further. Um, so council met via Zoom on the 11th last week and figured out next steps. So some quick notes of uh, this building. Um, like I said, it's the site of the previous LifeSpring Church. It fits about 300 people, um, has a nursery, kitchen, foyer, and a few classrooms on the second floor. Um, and a couple things that are obviously challenges for us that we're working through. One is the price. It's not a cheap building, and so we're working with uh, council to figure out how we can do that. Obviously, um, our Heavenly Father is also not a God who's concerned about money. So I think we uh, feel positive that we can make this happen. Um, obviously, we want you and ask you to pray for this, give uh, that doors may open and that we can have clarity. Um, there's also some issues with parking that we have to figure out uh, with that building. It doesn't have a lot of parking with it, so the, we'd have to park up and down the street, which again is fine, but we have to work through that. Um, so the good news is the current owner has actually allowed us to test this building out. So not next Sunday, but the Sunday after July 30th, we are planning to have our worship services there. And we can then take it for a test run and see how it, how it works, how the parking works, how the worship works, and how we can, if it actually is suitable for us. So as I said earlier, please uh, bring this before prayer, before God. Ephesians 3 verse 20 talks about God being able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Um, and so we are comforted by that and pray for the admin team and council that they uh, can figure out next steps. So stay tuned. If you have any questions, please contact uh, myself or any of the council members or any of the admin team members, and we're happy to uh, talk about it more. Thanks, John. What a wonderful opportunity as, as a church. You know, they say you can't judge a book by its cover, and, well, we get a look inside the book in a couple of weeks, so that, that's really exciting. Um, we're going to uh, start the service with a couple gathering songs. Um, the Lord Almighty reigns, and come, O fount. Um, please rise for singing. Thank you. 
psalmist gets at the heart of worship when he says this, Let us give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love and for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let us come and offer sacrifices of gratitude and tell of the Lord's deeds in songs of praise. We've just done that. Hopefully we continue to do that through our worship here this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord Himself has called us here to this place to worship Him, and now He gives you His welcome, His greeting. So receive that greeting now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's move on and sing a psalm together, Psalm 98, and let's remain standing as we sing. Bible with you, um, I invite you to turn to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, particularly Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read some verses from that, or you can look at the uh, screen above me and uh, follow along. As we uh, come to a portion of the Bible that I'm assuming uh, for many of us is somewhat familiar to us, and not that familiarity breeds contempt, but familiarity can put us in a mode where we say to ourselves, I've heard these words so many times, um, and we kind of, kind of sometimes, I think, mentally check out. I'm going to ask you not to mentally check out, but to focus on these words that we have before us, which is the template of God and the call of God upon our lives to live lives of faith and obedience. But what does that really mean? to obey God, and what does it mean to follow His will? Well, the Lord is very clear 
and graciously clear to us. So I want to draw your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, where the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, very, very quickly here, for the sake of those of you who don't know the historical context here, uh, many years ago, God had his people, the people of Israel. They were his special people among all the nations of the world, and he set his love upon them. And it was exclusive, and it was a deep, and it was a beautiful and abiding love. And um, God's people were enslaved in a land of Egypt for over 400 years until God in his grace and mercy lifted them out of that time of enslavement and oppression. And he said, I'm going to give you a land that is special for you, and it's a beautiful, beautiful land, and I give that land to you, and you're going to have to go through a wilderness in order to get to that land. And um, if you want to live fruitful lives in that land, and you want to continue to live as a free and blessed people, well then, here's what I want you to do, and this is how you receive a blessing. The Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me, because we could say, the Lord would say, because if you do, you can get enslaved to those gods, and you're consumed by them. And I love you enough to say, don't do that. Set your heart's affection on me. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now the fourth commandment relates to this day, which we call today the Lord's Day or Sunday, but in principle, it is what we call Shabbat. It's a day of rest. Observe this day, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a Shabbat, a day of rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates." that your male servant and your female servant may rest as you do, as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, which includes the anger that we sometimes have in our hearts or embitterment. You shall not commit adultery, which includes the lusts of our hearts. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet, that is, lay your heart's desire on your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbors. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the will of the Lord. And with that in mind, let's come uh, before the Lord in a brief prayer, and then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father, um, the truth of the matter is your will is very clear to us. And it is, in many ways, for us the way 
not of dissolution and death, but it is the way of freedom and life. And for this, we give you thanks. But another way, Father, we realize that in some ways it is an instrument of death to us because, Lord, we, we realize every time we really listen to this and we examine our own lives, we confess, Lord, as we do now, that all the things that you call us to do, ultimately rooted not just in obedience, but a precedent to that, which is love for you and love for neighbor. Father, we have tripped over ourselves time and time again. In the words of the Bible, we have sinned against you. And so, Father, we confess that now with the understanding and also with the joy of knowing that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are righteous to forgive us our sins and through Jesus Christ cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for this, O oh God, we give you thanks. Our hearts are full of joy as a result of that, Father. Thank you for giving us freedom and ultimate life in Jesus Christ, in this life, but also the life to come. And we pray this in Jesus, our precious Savior's name. Amen. We're going to respond in song, uh, singing another psalm. It's a beautiful tune taken from Psalm 103. I think it's one of the most beautiful psalms reflecting the grace of God and the mercies of God to us in Jesus Christ. So let's stand and let's sing that song together.
It is uh, one of the many joys that we have in our congregation in addition to uh, baptisms that we experience here, whether it be infant, child baptisms, or even adult baptisms. We greatly rejoice as a congregation in public professions of faith, and what we have the opportunity now to witness is um, what we call a reaffirmation of faith. Now, maybe some of you here are kind of going, well, what, what do we mean by a reaffirmation of faith? So let me quickly explain this. And we have the uh, opportunity of hearing a reaffirmation of faith of an uh, individual that many of us know, of course, and that is uh, Dylan Kewick. Um, when people are, are, um, go through basic orientation time at Pathway to explain what we are as a church and what we believe and what our practices are and what our trajectory is and all of that, um, after going through that process and meeting with a, a brief interview with the elders, then eventually um, people are welcome to Pathway. And if you've been here before, you've seen a welcome, basically it's very brief, not more than two minutes, where uh, individuals come forward and we recognize them and we recognize their faces so we all know who they are and I welcome them pathway and say a few personal words. Well, that's part of what we're about to uh, witness now, but a reaffirmation of faith is a reaffirming of a faith that was uh, once professed, um, let go for a time, but now wants to be, uh, the individual wants to come back and reaffirm the faith that he once professed. Now you say, but once again, why a reaffirmation of faith with um, our brother Dylan Kewick, who's going to become a member here. So um, very quickly, and I, I talked about uh, to this with Dylan, and he's okay with me saying this. Um, Dylan, uh, a number of, of years ago, um, uh, went through a rough period in his life. He grew up in a Christian family, and I'm, I'm going to spare you all the details because he's going to share some of that with you. Um, and he, he went through what we would call a spiritual rough patch in his life, and he was um, worshiping in another church, but um, for, for reasons which I won't get into uh, here, um, the church um, exercised what we call the third mark of a true church, a genuine church of Christ, and that is discipline. And that's not something that we oftentimes see today, but discipline is something that Christ gave to the church to, to put people under pressure so that may, in loving pressure and uh, admonition, so they might turn back to the Lord. And so Dylan was placed under discipline. What sometimes happens in discipline is people in the process of discipline, which can take sometimes months, even years, uh, Dylan decided to resign from that and move on and uh, leave the church for a time, but also worship in other places. And when, it, when a person resigns from membership, the church then does not proceed with official excommunication because they themselves have resigned themselves from the church. And in a sense, they have excluded themselves from the body of Jesus Christ. And, but there came a point in Dylan's life where after soul-searching and a number of influences that the Lord himself and his grace brought into his life, Dylan said, this, I can't continue going the route that I, I am. So... So Dylan started to come back to Christ and come back to the church. He came to Pathway. And, and we, I met with Dylan, and maybe some of you have talked with Dylan, and now he's come to the point where he wants to join Pathway, return to the church of Christ, and reaffirm his faith in Jesus Christ. So with that background, and Dylan will share just a little bit more of that uh, in just a moment. With that background, um, Dylan, wherever you are, I'd like you to come. There you are. I'd like you to come forward. May we just... Uh, Maybe just stand here. I think we can all see you. Yeah. Dylan, we are so grateful to God um, 
that he worked his grace and his word and your spirit in his life. Uh, you wouldn't be here right now, right, if it wasn't for the grace of God. And uh, the prayers of your people, and including the prayers of your parents and uh, prayers of Jody and, and others. So um, I have some basic questions uh, for you to answer. And the first one is this. Do you wholeheartedly believe the doctrine, the teachings of the Word of God, which is summarized in our confessional standards and taught here in this Christian church? And do you promise by the grace of God to steadfastly continue in this doctrine in life and death, rejecting all heresies and errors that conflict with God's Word? Your answer? I do. And then second, do you acknowledge God's covenant promises which have been signified and sealed to you in your baptism? And do you truly detest and humble yourself before God because of your sins and seek your life outside of yourself in Jesus Christ? Your answer? And third, do you declare that you love the Lord and that's your heartfelt desire to serve him, to forsake the world, and to crucify your old nature? Your answer. And then finally, do you firmly resolve to commit your life to the Lord's service as a living member of his church? And do you promise to submit willingly to the admonition and discipline of the church should you become delinquent in doctrine or in life? Dylan, your answer. And then I have this text for you from the book of 1 Peter. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Dylan, um, we are so grateful for this time. And uh, without further ado, because of the length of the service, um, you wanted to, and, and Dylan was willing uh, to do this, to share just a little bit of his journey, and then we're going to follow this up by uh, praying for you and other things, and John Zietzma will come forward at the time. But if you come forward, and let's see if I can find the microphone here. It's on. Good morning. <laughs> I'm thankful to stand up here today and be able to share God's work in my life over the last number of years. Similar to many of us, I grew up in a Christian household with a good and happy environment where we were taught the importance of faith, church, treating those around you well. I often wondered, though, growing up, what it would feel like not to know God and be missing that connection, turn to him later in life. Little did I know that through my choices and my mistakes, I would live that reality. A few years after high school, I chose to live for myself and be rid of many rules and regulations I felt were forced on me. This new mindset led to poor decision-making, which resulted in lost friendships, disconnection to family and church community, both mental and physical health struggles, and ultimately a life apart from walking with God. Fast forward a few years at the beginning of 2020, I ran into a few issues all at once. I had injured myself, COVID was just beginning, and I was living amidst a large-scale house renovation. This really slowed down a lot of life's distractions, and now looking back, these issues are really an act of grace from God to allow my stubborn attitude to be beaten down in order for me to seek purpose and a life outside of myself. I realized that what I thought were patterns of bad luck were actually routinely caused by my selfishness and my desire to be in control of my own life. From that low point, again, only by the grace of God, I came to the end of myself and turned back to Jesus. I slowly started to tap back into church here at Pathway, began reading my Bible, praying, reconnecting with friends, family, 
And while I'm constantly and continually in the process of sanctification, God has seen it fit to redeem me. It has been so awesome to look back over the number of years and see the ways God has been weaving all this together. I am thankful for my church community here at Pathway, for a loving family, good health, and a girlfriend that God has used to walk alongside me with this journey. All praise be to God our Father, Jesus our Savior, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Can we do this? We need to praise the Lord. Let's stand and let's sing the doxology. I'll lead you in that. Can we sing that a cappella? Let's sing together. Pray. of faith, or in this case, reaffirmations of faith, it, it always strikes me how personal and loving of a God we have, that um, he just doesn't blanketly want his people to serve him. He penetrates their individual lives and their stories, and he wants to hear from his people, and he wants to have a relationship with his people. And as a church, he wants to hear us, and the opportunity we have to do that is um, through prayer. So let's take that opportunity now. Lord God, Heavenly Father, worthy of all praise, so much so our praise of you, our worship of you, is inadequate compared to who you are. You are almighty, all-powerful. You transcend time and space. You have no beginning and no end. You are the author and preserver of life and rule justly over all creation. We come before you this morning acknowledging that we really don't deserve to be here worshiping you. Our week was full of sin once again. Our lives lived in selfishness, in disobedience and in contrast to who you created us to be. But yet, here we are, because you, O oh Lord, our King, rule from a throne of mercy and grace. We thank you for looking down upon us this morning as we worship you through the eyes of Jesus and through the lens of the cross. We praise you and thank you for your love in Jesus Christ, that you brought us all from death to life, and we look forward to eternity with you. Lord, we are grateful for what you have done in the life of Dylan that you have brought him back to a life focused on you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for penetrating his heart and for leading him back to Jesus. We pray that Dylan will continue to seek you, to spend time in your word and constantly rely on you as his source of strength. Bless his life, we pray. We are thankful for the people you have put in his path who help him along his way. Lord God, as we reflect upon all our journeys, there are similarities and there are differences. 
We all have our joys and we all have our struggles and sin, each in our own way. But we do have one thing in common, and that is Jesus. Each and every one of us can say that we that Jesus has sought us when we wanted to be strangers to him and we wanted to wander from God. That Jesus rescued us from danger through his precious blood. Jesus, our Savior, thank you for your presence and persistence in Dylan's life and, quite frankly, in the lives of each and every one of us here. Heavenly Father, we ask for a blessing on the activities that are taking place at Stepping Stones Bible Camp. We pray, Holy Spirit, lead those kids who do not know Jesus to the realization that they too have a Savior and have a hope in a mixed up world. We pray, Holy Spirit, strengthen the faith of kids who do know Jesus, that their light may shine even brighter. Be with the counselors and the staff as they that they too be given whatever they stand in need of to be instruments in your hands and the lives of these children. Lord, we pray for our province and the many fires that are ravaging our forests. We pray that you will send rain in cooler temperatures. We pray that you will be near the many people affected and displaced. Grant safety to the firefighters as they battle these wildfires around the province. We pray especially for the family of Devon Gale, who lost her life this past week fighting these fires. Give the family and friends of Devon the strength they need in their time of grief. As the earth continues to groan under sin, with floods and fires and drought and tornadoes, we can often be concerned and even worry. But we know that everything is in your control, and we can sing hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord Almighty reigns. Lord God, we also bring before you the opportunity for a new building for Pathway. We have been praying for this for a while, somewhere to call our church home. Lord God, this opportunity has great potential and some big hurdles. We pray for your leading, we pray for your wisdom, and we pray for discernment as we consider this opportunity. Lord, if it is your will to be there, grant a way around the obstacles. We pray, make the path clear for us to follow. We pray for the collection that we're about to take for M2W2. Lord, humanly speaking, we often consider those who are in prison as 100% lost. We are grateful that you do not take that approach. No one is beyond your grasp. And that you have worked it in the desire of many people in M2W2 to, to reach out to those in prisons with the gospel message. We pray a blessing upon their work and the strength required in this seemingly daunting task. Heavenly Father, we also pr pray for our church family as a whole. Bless us in our daily activities, whether it be at work or on vacation. Grant us to look for your guidance each and every day. In joys and trials, help us look to you always in thanksgiving and in hope. Bless our worship, we pray, and bless our fellowship afterwards, that your name be glorified in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we have the opportunity to worship God through our gifts, um, giving back what he has in the first place given us 
Today's collection is for M2W2. All right, let's deal with the word of the Lord, shall we? Our passage um, this morning comes from the Gospel of John. So the New Testament begins with what we call the four Gospels. So the first book of the New Testament is Matthew, followed by Mark, Luke, and then John. So we're in the fourth book of the Gospels. And then this afternoon, 
uh, for our afternoon worship, which, by the way, um, uh, we are going to have... Uh, after this service, we're going to have a meal together, just an informal meal together. And of course, uh, any of you here this morning um, are uh, very welcome uh, to join us uh, in that meal. And then our second service, rather than being at 2.30 in the afternoon, is going to be at 1, followed on the heels of that uh, meal. All right. So um, we're going to read from John chapter 12, and I want to read just through verses 20 through uh, 26 as we look at something that uh, relates to absolutely every one of us here this morning, and that is the call, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, if we're going to be genuine Christians, the call to die to self. Now, seems a bit extreme, but that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. What, is that, what, what does that mean, and what does it look like? We're going to consider that here this morning. So John chapter 12, uh, join me, if you would, at uh, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, you say, well, what feast? If you put in the context of the previous chapter, it's referring to the feast of Passover. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast of Passover, Jewish feast, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, and he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, and I want you to pay special attention now to verses 24 and 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we're going we're gonna to look at the verses that I just read. We're going to put them as we normally do from week to week here uh, in, in, in their context. But I want to especially focus again on verses 24 and 25. And when you look at verses 24 and 25, and if you listen carefully to what I read, you may be wondering, what, what exactly is Jesus getting to? Because on one hand, which is oftentimes reflective of the wording of the Gospel of John, Jesus' teaching is really pretty simple. And yet at the same time, it's extremely profound. So what is Jesus saying in verses 24 and 25? Basically, what he is saying is this. And again, it relates to every one of us here this morning. He's saying, just as, and here's the simple analogy, just as a seed is planted in the ground and is buried and must, quote-unquote, die in order for life to come forth from that seed, emerge from the soil, and result in a plant or a tree that goes on to bear fruit, Jesus says the same thing must occur with you and me if we're going to be genuine Christians, if we're going to be followers of Christ. Like that seed, we have to be buried in the ground. We must, quote-unquote, die, and then we must emerge from the soil of our life into a plant or a tree that goes on to bear fruit. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to truly live in me and follow me, man, you first have to die. You have to die to self. You know, I was thinking about that. You know, we have 
For those who are visiting, you probably saw these signs uh, around the building, out in the front and out the side, you know, and then when you come inside, there are more signs there, and it just basically says Pathway Christian Church, identifies who we are. Can you imagine imagine if we change the sign to read Pathway Christian Church, quote-unquote, come die with us? Can you imagine what people in the neighborhood would think? They would think, well, this is a weird group, or this is some kind of cultic group, or at least it would be the source of some kind of conversation throughout the neighborhood. But while it may seem weird to us, at the same time, it really gets at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us here. So let's go ahead and take a look at the passage. As we normally do here, we're going to put this in context. So here's basically um, the context. It is during the time of what we call the Jewish Feast of Passover. And what that tells us is that because it's the Passover, and the feast lasted a number of days, Jesus is coming to the end of his life. And we know because it's Passover that Jesus is soon to be crucified and be put to death. And it was during the time of the Feast of Passover that this occurs on the heels of something rather monumental that occurred in John chapter 11, which is the resurrection of a man named Lazarus. In other words, a man who was raised to life by Jesus. The the, the story of the rising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 is the most extensive story of resurrection, and there are a number of accounts of resurrection in the Bible, but it's the most extensive resurrection story in, in all of the Bible, so it's a very significant event. And we read that as a result of the resurrection, some Jews who are questioning Jesus and wondering, who is he really all about? Is he really truly a Messiah or is he not? Some of them believed in him, but there were a number who were not believing in him, who were opposed to Jesus. And a group that was very opposed to Jesus was a conservative group at that time known as Pharisees, who saw them as a reform movement within Judaism. And the Pharisees came so far in their minds as to plot to put Jesus to death. And the reason for that is because the Pharisees believed that uh, Jesus posed a threefold threat or a threefold danger. And the first danger was this Jesus was a danger to the Jewish people themselves. And the reason for that is because during the days of Jesus, messianic expectations were running very high. And people were thinking, is this a Messiah that we've been waiting for and that's been prophesied in the Bible? Is, is, is Jesus truly the Messiah? And other Messiahs came along claiming to be the Messiah for the Jewish people to free them from Roman oppressors? And every time these pseudo-messiahs, these false messiahs came, oftentimes what they would do is they would gather around themselves of people and they would convince the people that not only were they the messiah, but they needed to raise an arm of opposition to the Roman government who was their oppressor at the time. And every time the Roman government would come down upon them and squash them and a number of Jewish people died. And so the Pharisees thought Jesus is probably the same thing. He's a pseudo-messiah, he's a false messiah, a number of people are going to die again. So they viewed Jesus as a threat or a danger as a result of um, his bearing upon the Jewish people, but they also viewed Jesus as a danger because of um, his connection, they believe, with the Jewish religion. Because you see, Jesus, according to the Pharisees, said that he made himself equal with God, and Judaism is what we call a monotheistic religion, that is, a belief in one God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
But when Jesus made himself equal with God, they say that's undermining our monotheistic faith. So Jesus is a threat not only to the Jewish people, but he's a threat to our religion. And then very quickly, they believe that Jesus was not only a threat to the Jewish religion and the Jewish people, but he was a threat to them as a, as, as a leading group among the Jews. Because as long as people were following Jesus, oh, those people were not following him. So they plotted to put him to death. They rejected Jesus. And while for a few Jews were, were, were actually quite taken with Jesus because of his miracles, not because they understood who he was necessarily. Most people actually put a hand of opposition upon Jesus. And if you read later in John chapter 12, there are a number of them who rejected Jesus. So the Gospel of John puts it like this in the first chapter. John writes, For he came to his own, that is Jesus, he came to his own, his own people. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Now, why do I provide this context? Because while many of the Jewish people rejected Christ or, didn't, or followed him but not really understand who he was, there were certain individuals here and there that we read in the Bible that God was working his grace in. And what they did is they drew near to Jesus and they wanted to explore. Maybe you're one of those here this morning where you're like, you know what, I want to explore more who this Jesus is. I'm not sure all of who he is and I'm starting to read my Bible, but I want to learn more. And the reason why I bring it out, because there are a number of individuals who, as we get into our passage now, who are called Greeks, not Jews, but Greeks. And these Greeks went to one of Jesus' disciples named Philip, and, he said, and they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And when you look in the original language, it comes in a present continuous tense. That's a technicality, but it's important. What that tells us is that these certain Greeks, we don't know how many, who did not grow up in the Jewish faith, wanted to meet Jesus, and they were pressing upon Philip continually, please, we want to see Jesus. Would, would you allow us to see Jesus? Where is he? We want to see Jesus. The reason why I bring that out, it shows the intent of their heart. They were hungry. They were spiritually hungry. Now, very quickly, who were these Greeks? It's kind of interesting. Typically, um, non-Jewish people don't always show much interest in the Jewish faith, but these Greeks, called in the Bible Hellenists, um, wanted to know who Jesus was. Now, these, these Greeks, interestingly enough, were, were probably what the book of Acts calls proselytes or God-fearers. And what that means is this. These were, these were individuals who left their pagan Greek background behind and also the gods of their various religions, and they attached themselves to the god of Judaism and to the Judaistic faith, to the Jewish faith. But while they did that, while they feared the god of Judaism, they didn't go so far as to be circumcised, which was a mark of what we call covenant inclusion. That is, it was a mark of belonging to the true God and a mark of belonging to God's people. They didn't receive that. It would be, if I, I can provide a little bit of analogy here, it would be like um, uh, an individual coming to Pathway, right? 
and they start worshiping with us for a time, and maybe I meet with them, or some of you meet with him or her, and you begin to mentor them in the faith, and after a while, they come to the point where they go, you know what? I want to leave my old way behind to a certain extent, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe I need the forgiveness of sins and all of that. They have a certain understanding of the gospel, but they don't go so far as to really attach themselves to this church by means of a profession of faith publicly, like we heard from Dylan. Or they don't come to the point of really becoming a part of the body here. Maybe they worship here every so often, but not very regularly. And they are also those who don't want to be baptized, and they don't want to participate in the Lord's Supper. In other words, these would be individuals who are willing, like these Greek proselytes, to kind of come halfway, but not the full way. In other words, in light of our text, they are individuals who really didn't come to the point of what Jesus calls them to do, and that is die completely to self. So these Greeks, these proselytes, they come to Philip. Philip, here's what they have to say about wanting to see Jesus, and what does Philip do? If you take a look at the passage, what Philip does is he doesn't go right to Jesus. He goes to another disciple named Andrew. Why did he do that? Don't know. Text doesn't say, but probably Philip was just bringing this to Andrew and talking to him about it. Hey, we got these Greeks. This is very unusual. They want to see Jesus. And so what we go on to read is that Philip and Andrew go on to see Jesus, and they tell Jesus about this. And I want you to notice the response of Jesus. The response of Jesus was not, this is great, you know? This is very unusual. Yeah, bring them to me. I'd love to talk with them. Now, Jesus says something um, rather prophetic and somewhat cryptic. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man, that's in reference to himself, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you're, you're scratching your head like, what is he talking about? What Jesus is saying here is this, the hour, that is the time of my imminent suffering and death has come. And through that suffering and death, I will be glorified. My name will be lifted up because what am I doing? I'm fulfilling the mission of my Father to come into this world and die for the sins of my people. I'm going to die. And I'm going to die for them. And then Jesus says something next which really gets at the heart of our text. Jesus says something in verses 24 and 25 that reflects not only what he's come to do in this world, which is die, but also reflects on our calling as followers of Christ. Verses 24 and 25, I'm going to read it again. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, whenever you read that in the Bible, whenever you hear those words or read those words, truly, truly, or some old translations have it, verily, verily, in the original language is amen, amen, as we say amen. There's a sense of urgency here. Amen, amen, truly, truly. He's, he's driving the point home. So he's saying this is important. Listen to me. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. <coughs> but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life Whoever loves his life, Jesus could, we, we could say, whoever loves his life to such a degree 
that it prevents him from coming to Christ. He's actually going to lose that life, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So again, what is he talking about? Death to self. Which, which of course, you, you can't read a passage like this and not come away asking yourself the question, okay, but what does that really mean? What does, what does death to self really mean? You know what it means? I'm first going to give a, a, a broad explanation, and then I'm going to give a specific explanation. First of all, broadly. To die to self means identifying with Jesus in this way. Just as Jesus was crucified and died and was buried and came back to life in order to bear fruit more deeply and broadly through the pouring forth of His Spirit that empowered the church to take His good news into the world. Just as Jesus had to experience that, you and I have to experience that as well. There's a parallel here. We too, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, have to crucify our old life or whatever is keeping us in this life from Him. We have to die to it we have to be buried to it. It's only when we do that that we're able to come to new life. I mean, real life. Real life. That's broadly. More specifically, what Jesus is saying here is this. You and I have to be willing to die to all those desires, all those ambitions, all those destructive, ongoing habits in our lives. We have to be willing to die to all our idols. And when we think of an idol, oftentimes we think of that little stone figure that people bow down to in certain religions. When the Bible talks about idolatry, it's talking about something in our life that is oftentimes very good, but actually in time it becomes absolute in our lives to the extent that it absorbs us, consumes us, and enslaves us and keeps us from God. Jesus is saying you have to be willing to die to all desires, all destructive habits, all ambitions, all idols. Indeed, you and I have to be willing to die even to the closest relationships that we have in this life, if those relationships keep Jesus from being preeminent in our life. Do you see what he's asking of us? He's asking everything from us. Everything. Jesus puts it like this elsewhere. He says, whoever come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me which we can't hear this without asking ourselves the question, have I done this? Am I continuing to do this? Or am I playing a game? I'll get back to that question in just a little bit. Before we do that, I want to be very quick. Uh, A.V., would you put on the uh, PowerPoints that I want to show? Okay. I want to give you some examples very quickly from the Bible of those who left everything behind and died themselves in order to follow Jesus. Why don't we put the great example of Jesus forward, first of all? The words that Jesus speaks here were spoken in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
the night before Jesus' crucifixion, where the weight of his crucifixion and his death was bearing down upon him. And this is what he says. He prays to his father. My father, if it is at all possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you see the, the, the weakness in Jesus at that point? Because not only is he divine, but he's human, and his human nature is bearing down upon him, and he's fearing what is to come. And he says, Father, if it is all possible, let this cup, this cup of suffering and death, pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You know what you call that? Death to self. Abraham. And Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham did not grow up as a believer. Abraham grew up not knowing God. He was without God and without hope in the world. God came to him. God called him to leave his family and to leave his culture to go to what we call the promised land. And God didn't lay out the route for him to go there. He said, just pick up and I'll show you where to go. And Abraham had to go in faith, just trusting that God was going to show him the way. What do we call that? Death to self. Next. Ruth. Let's bring a woman into this. And Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Who was Ruth? Was she a Jew? No. She was a Moabitess. She was a pagan. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole story of Ruth, but at this point, it's in chapter 1 of Ruth, she attaches herself to her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, you know what? I want to go with you, and I want to go to your land, and I want to know your God, and I'm going to follow his ways, and your people are going to be my people. What is she doing? She's leaving behind her culture, her people, her religion, everything that was familiar to her. She, she died to it that she might follow the God of Israel. Finally, Paul, the Apostle Paul. But whatever I gain I had, he says, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. One of the most astounding conversion stories in all the Bible, the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who left everything behind, counted all things in his life but loss in order that he might gain Christ. What do we call that? Death to self. Could you move on, please? There you go. Jesus says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find that, find it. We read that in the Gospel. Matthew, Jesus essentially says the same thing in our passage. One more. All right, here's an example of a man who was unwilling to die. And Jesus said to him, the rich young ruler, which Brother Doug Vanderberg preached on last week, if you were here, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And when the young man heard that he went away sorrowful, he, he went away sorrowful for notice, he had great possessions. Now the, the guy was rich. Riches are not evil in and of themselves. Sometimes God gives wealth to an individual as a sign of his blessing. But here's the problem. The riches became an idol. And a good thing became a bad thing because those riches consumed him to the point where he would rather serve his riches than serve Jesus and follow him. So, my friends, following Jesus is not an easy thing. It requires death to self. And you know what it requires? It requires a decisive dying 
to all those things that keep us from Jesus. And then once we have done that, there's also a progressive side to dying. We have to progressively die in our lives to put away sin in our lives in order that we might follow Jesus so that every mature Christian sees this in his or her life. They see this kind of line going up. Greater and greater fidelity to Jesus. Greater and greater fidelity to Jesus. More and more dying, more and more coming to life in Christ. You know what it's like? Quick analogy, and then I want to start drawing to a close. This, this, this dying to self, which can be painful, but in the end is good for us, is like, um, it's like let's say, uh, a 22-year-old woman, a young woman, who was in a two-year relationship with a guy that was, unfortunately, over time, pretty unhealthy and pretty toxic, and she realized it. She realizes that she needs to, to cut ties with the guy, which she does, and in time, within a few months, um, she enters into a relationship with another guy, solid guy, Christian guy, loving guy, stable guy who respects her, does not abuse her, is not toxic in their relationship. And yet, as the months go by and she's nurturing this relationship with the new guy, the thing is, every once in a while, she has hankerings and desires for the guy that she left. Because the fact of the matter is, the guy with whom she had a toxic relationship was actually her first love, and it's hard to let go of a first love. But she realized, I can't do that. It's not going to be healthy for me. It's not going to be good for me. So she denies her desires, and she cultivates and nurtures that relationship with a new guy that continues to be a healthy relationship with her and causes her to grow. Same thing with a Christian life. You know, sometimes it is painful to give up relationships that we had or a lifestyle that we had in order to follow Jesus. But you know, we decide to do that. But every once in a while in our lives, you know this to be true if you're a Christian, right? You have these hankerings for maybe some of the habits that you left behind because those habits don't leave you very quickly, do they? But you know the best thing for you, and by the grace and spirit of God, you're given the ability to more and more put those things aside, die to them in order that you might grow in your relationship in Christ, and as Jesus says, bear good fruit. My friends, listen, this is, this is what the Lord calls us to do. In the end, Jesus calls us all to die. I mean, I mean, really die. And you know what? You may, you may be here this morning, and you've never really died to yourself because you've never really committed your life to Christ. And you did not grow up in the Christian church. And you never really knew much about Jesus. But you know eventually, you've got to do something with Him. And now you know what to do. You know, God's calling on your life. And, and for some of us, you know what? We, we, it's very possible, and I'm, I don't say this to instill doubts in us, okay? But it's very possible to grow up in the context of the church of Jesus Christ. And Dylan would be the first one probably to say this, to grow up within the church of Christ, but find yourself in this kind of period of spiritual malaise and weakness and the fires simply are not burning, and deep down you want them to burn, but they're not burning. What do we do with that? Same thing. Come to the point of really coming to the end of ourselves in order that we may make that decision to come alive in Jesus Christ.
of course, this is something that we must all pray for. Because only God himself, by his grace and spirit and power, can enact this in our lives. If you struggle in that way, pray. If you find you're not struggling, pray anyway. Continue to ask the Lord to grow you in love and service to him. And may the Lord do that for all of us here who are sitting or myself standing. May God work his grace in our lives. That in the end, may we do what Jesus calls us to do. Something painful, but something beautiful in the end. And that is die to ourselves in order that we may come alive in Jesus Christ. And with that having been said, join me in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, what a simple fundamental teaching, but Lord, at the same time, what an invasive teaching. What a call that you place upon us, O Lord, to come to the end of ourselves to repent, to turn from sin and our lifestyles in order that we might follow Jesus. Oh God, we feel so weak many times. And many times our desires are, well, at times intense and other times, Lord, they hardly seem to be there. So Lord, we pray that you would sovereignly intervene in our lives and you would help us to do what we sometimes have a hard time doing ourselves. And that is, the desire to seek Christ truly and find our life and our rest and our joy in him. Help us in that, oh God, we pray. and We trust that you will because you love to answer prayers that are sincere and come in the name of Jesus. And with that confidence, we end this prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song in response as we normally do after reflecting somewhat on the words of the Lord. And the song that we're going to sing is, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Let's stand and let's sing these three stanzas together.
As we come to the end of the service, um, maybe you are a person here this morning who says this is um, a tall order that Jesus requires of us, if I, as I've just heard in the sermon, and it's true. He calls us to die, and maybe you say, I, I don't know if I'm prepared to do that. Th- that may be the case right now, and if that is the case right now, then you need the help of God. You need the blessing of God and the help of God, and that's why we end our service with a blessing of the Lord. So from Numbers chapter 6, listen to these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's sing our final song. Mm-hmm.